Hi, my name is John Kim. I'm a therapist who went through his own rebirth many years ago, and I've been documenting my journey ever since, sharing my life lessons and revelations. I believe in casual over clinical, with you instead of at you. I come unrehearsed on purpose because self-help doesn't have to be so complicated. I'm super excited about today's guest because she and I go way back, like 10 to 13 years back. I was uh, freshly out of a divorce, trying to rebuild my life, going through my rebirth. And um, we were both working in nonprofit, treating teenage addicts with addiction. She thrived. She was amazing. I struggled. I felt like the kid that got held back and... It wasn't that I thought I was too good for this job. It was it was it just didn't match my idea uh, a blueprint of what a therapist looked like. So, wearing khakis and a golf shirt, and you know, taking kids grocery shopping and teaching them life skills, I feel like that's not what I um, signed up for. But that experience, five years working in the trenches in Los Angeles and spearheading uh, family support groups and 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 all of that um, under the umbrella of TC. Uh, taught me so much about myself and I feel like I was the one in treatment and uh, yeah looking back nothing but fond memories and Halen was a part of that so uh, super excited to connect with her in this episode she has gone on to do amazing things and I'm so proud of her I'm gonna let her tell you about them here is Halen Dennison Halen hi John does it feel like we went to high school together it kind of feels that way. It's been like what, ten years? No, John, like twenty. No, no, what? No, really. How was it? Because it was two thousand seven. Then two thousand eleven that we were. No, no, we. I was working at OA at two, like two thousand and seven. I was twenty two years old. Oh my gosh! Forty. Dude, that is crazy. I, I can't believe how young you were. Okay, yeah. so um. Thank you for being on my podcast. Uh, Thank you for having me, John. This is my first podcast ever. I know. I love it. I love that. That uh, You know what? It's just uh, it's serendipity because of um, our history. So, Halen Dennison, is that correct? Your last name? Dennison? Yes, correct. LCSW is a licensed therapist specializing in adolescent mental health. And that ties into her story and what we're talking about, how we know each other, which we'll get into. Halen completed her graduate program at the uh, prestigious USC uh, in here in LA and moved back to her hometown in 2021. Over the past decade, Halen continued her mission to improve access to quality mental health services in Hawaii. Uh, she is currently on the, uh, is the PMAG Director of Inter Integrated Behavioral Health a founder of a nonprofit organization called Spill the Tea Cafe, which sounds awesome, by the way. Um, this is a, a, a teen mental health clinic and also a founder of MindWorks Clinic, LLC. Halen is a mom of four, which blows my mind, is passionate about teaching parents how to best support their, there's a lot of letters here, LGBTQIA plus youth. We're going to get into that. And Halen is an advocate in her local community and sits on the board of directors for PFLAG, Hawaiian chapter of a Hawaiian chapter on issues including adolescent mental health, access to care for LGBTQ youth, and prevention of childhood trauma and abuse. Um, 
you've been very busy. As you have been as well. Yeah, so uh, let's, okay, so I want to start, okay, here's where I want to start. Let me know if this would work because um, I didn't know that Hawaii and LA are time zones are different. You're you're um, you're three three hours behind me. I, I, can I buy a, can I buy a lottery ticket in California and then give you the numbers to the ticket? Then then you three hours later play it and then we split the earnings. Oh Does yeah, yeah. I know we don't have that here though. Well, you would you would have to. I would give you the num the winning numbers since I'm three hours ahead of you of the. California Lardy, and then you would play from there. Never mind. Okay. Um, John, you know I'm not good with numbers. Yeah, either am I, and that's Party, why that's why we so. got all this fucked up. Yeah, but it's good because we're Asian, and I think that we should fight that stereotype. You know what I mean? Well, you're only half Asian. Yes, I'm half Asian. Yeah, so you should be better at numbers than me. <laughs> um, okay, so let's talk about um, how we know each other. Halen worked as a counselor at OA. It's a nonprofit, and this is um, this is where I got my start. And I remember uh, I didn't want to work there, and I was uh, freshly divorced, didn't have a lot of options, broke, didn't have a lot of friends, and the universe made me wear khaki uh, khakis and uh, take the kids uh, grocery shopping. And I remember I had a big ego then. Like, I remember thinking, you know, um, I just dropped 60K on a master's. I'm a therapist. I, you know, I want a cappuccino and my office with a little waterfall and those silver balls. What am I doing here in the trenches right. of Los Angeles? Oh, yeah. um, you know, playing with kids. And uh, it was actually one of the um, richest kind of growth soil uh, spaces for me. I, I grew so much and I realized it wasn't even about helping kids. Um, while you were doing that, you were also kind of um, in treatment yourself. Absolutely. I completely 100% agree. And even now in my life, like looking back at that time, I still have lessons, you know, that that I take with me. Um, but I do remember you kind of, you know, yeah, before all of your success and everything. And um, you always just kind of reminded me of like, my ex-boyfriend's older brother because mm. he was Korean. My ex-boyfriend was Korean and then his older brother, like you kind of had that vibe, you know? And you like told me one time I came in with like a grande, like lastly <laughs> from Starbucks. And you told, and it was like very, very new. Um, like you were new or I was new. I don't know. Like You were there before me. Okay, so you were new. Yeah. And so I was like, what is, you know, my first impression of you? And you literally said, there's no reason in the entire world why you should have like a grande or anyone should have a grande. You're like, you should have like a tall. What? I said this? Yeah. And I was oh, like, John, shut up. And then you're like, no, you don't need to have like a big ass coffee like that, Halen. Wow. So what What was, I wonder where that was coming from. Was that, that was funny? I think you were was just flirting with you or was I being a dick? Because that, no, no, I think you were serious because, um, you know, you're very health conscious. Like remember like all the CrossFit you would do and like, you're like eating very clean. Right. So it's kind of, yeah, but I don't think, I don't think it's appropriate, especially if I didn't know you well. Um, so you, you have evolved. So I, what you have evolved. Oh, evolved. Yes. Yeah, um, evolved. I don't think that kind of comment um, is acceptable and would fly today. I would oh. definitely, uh, that's a very canceled type of, um, well, I'm sorry for saying that. Obviously oh, that's- um, okay. I thought it was a funny story. <laughs> um, yes, and so that's why we, we uh, ha uh, haven't spoke since. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, okay, um, 
What? Let me ask you this. So OA and uh, you were there for what, how many years? Was it Three more years. than five? Three years. Three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember that you had this quality about you that was very nurturing, you know, and I remember the uh, all the kids and, and this was uh, teenagers we helped uh, with addiction. And I remember they were very drawn to you. You let them watch shows like Friends. And I remember on the Saturdays that you were working, if I had to come into work for some reason, it just felt like you weren't working. It just felt like it was your house. Oh, yeah, it was my house. <laughs> were it you was... always were you always kind of the nurturer, the caretaker? Because you're also no. a very young mom. Yeah, I think at the time that I met you, I don't think I had Maddie yet, my firstborn. Um, but through that process, I did, I did have, you know, get pregnant and then, and then have Maddie. But I believe, you know, I was drawn to the kids and the teens and like through my own work and through my own internal, I guess, um, transformation, I, I learned a lot of like that programming that kind of just shows up automatically was because of like a trauma response or, you know, that was what was expected of me. And so I was kind of always the person to try to make sure that, um, you know, I was managing other people's moods or also I think a big contributing factor is that my older brother uh, was in a car accident and, you know, was uh, involved with drugs at a very young age, like 13, 14. And he got into a car accident, which left him with a traumatic brain injury. And so I think there was a lot of trauma around that incident. And it was almost like my way of trying to give back because I wasn't able to help my brother, right? Mm-hmm. Like it kind of showed up that way. Um, and so, yeah, I think that it served me well um, having that experience. And then still, like if you fast forward, it's crazy. Like today at Spill the Tea Cafe, it's kind of like the same vibe. You know, it's just like, I'll show you soon or like after this, but it's like a homey environment or it's like, looks like a living room setup. Yeah. So um, at 13, after the uh, accident with your, how did, so how old were you if your brother was 13? You were really young. So yeah, my brother was 13 when he started, you know, experimenting with, with drugs and things like that. I was 12. And so he got into an accident at 14. I was 13. And then he was in a coma for gosh, like six months. So, you know, just in and out of the hospital, then a year of rehab, right. And all of that. And then having to be by my brother's side along that was really right. difficult. So you became an instant um, caretaker or nurturer Kinda. at that age. Yeah. Uh, this was in Hawaii, correct? Correct. And tell me about what led you, what what brought you to LA and um, get it, getting into social work and helping other people? Yeah, I mean, I was one of those kids like, you know, the day after I graduated, I was off the island. You know, kind of like, I just need to get away from this place. And honestly, I never, I could probably put my life on it that I would never return. That's how deep the trauma was or that's how deep the programming was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, like moving back home was actually very difficult for me as well. And so. Wait, why did, my- you wanna, did you want to leave the, because for many, Hawaii is like paradise, right? And I was, um, I was there once, I was dating someone from there and we went there during Christmas. It was the first time I've ever been there, um, Oahu. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. It was like 80 yeah. degrees and, and breezes. Um, why for you did you want to leave the island? Why was that like prison? You could, is it because you grew up there or is it because of the accident? It's because I grew up there um, and there was a lot, you know, of course, my parents were very close to them, loved them with everything I have. We have a great relationship now, um, but 
you know, my parents tried their best and, and I grew up in a very, very Asian patriarchal, mm-hmm. um, extremely religious household. And so, right, there was, I was very limited in terms of my exposure to people or other types of um, beliefs or values. And there was a lot of like guilt and shame uh, growing up. And so I think I wanted to get off the island as an escape. And that's what really brought me to LA. I was, I loved LA. I still love LA. I miss LA, John. <laughs> but I, I also know that I have a purpose here. And um, I'm so glad to be surrounded by my, my family and also help with all of, you know, the issues that Hawaii has, including like this major access problem or shortage of providers in mental health and, and really like all specialties, there's a shortage here. So, so um, me being Korean, I also grew up with um, not a lot of emotional milk, um, right. death, alcoholic, workaholic, um, not, not like abusive in any kind of physical, emotional abuse, but just not present. Right. And so um, was that the same for you or was it different? I think my parents were, my mom was a stay at home mom, you know, mm-hmm. so she was very much there physically, but I think she also was a, she was a teen mom. So I should say, you know, she had us when she was like 16 and 17 years old. So, I mean, what do you really know? Right. All she knows is Catholic school and right. Like to be extremely Christian. (laughs) I don't know what else to say. I'm sorry. I'm not like, but um, yes. And so to appear a certain way. Right. And to like, cook for your man and make sure it's hot and make sure you're serving them and you're not, you know, you're submissive and all the things. So, um, I think they didn't have the tools. They didn't have, of course, right. They didn't have the education and or ability to, but they definitely tried their best. Haylin, I'm 49 and I'm like, how do you parent? This is so hard. (laughs) And I mean, can you imagine, I mean, your mom, 18, 19, having a kid, you know, um, so that was kind of the blueprint that was passed down. Uh, you also got married young, no? I did. I did. I think I was like 23 or 24. Yeah. So married, kid. And what was that like for you? Because at that point, you were working in nonprofit. Uh, and I believe your um, ex-husband was a police officer or was um, yeah. going in that yeah. route. How was yeah. it for you guys? Yeah. First kid and, you know, just kind of out in L.A. hustling and trying to make things work. Yeah, it was so tough. I never wanted to leave LA. And, um, you know, he got into HPD at the time and, and he was like, peace out. And he really left. I I kind of like tested him, but he did leave. And I think I stayed in California for about three months before I was like, fuck this. Like, I'm not trying to be a single mom out here like this. And that's when I moved back to Hawaii. But I, I guess that would be the start of, you know, my resistance to Hawaii and kind of like, that's when I really started my therapy journey to bring healing yeah. to my home and um, to what I knew. And it was just a time for me to transform. But I guess life has so many surprises for me. It was like, I still had way more transformation and I still have so much more transformation that I want to accomplish. Yeah. You know, what's interesting is when you were at OA and I knew you, um, I think you were curious about growth. I think you were curious about um, obviously helping other people, uh, uh, but you weren't quite divorced yet. And so I think you were about to go on this like inner or hero's journey. Um, when I met you, I was in it. So I was just coming oh. out of the divorce. Right, and, right. And so it seems like you had your rebirth in Hawaii. I had mine 
on you know Olympic Boulevard or wherever that was with uh, yeah, discovering yeah. CrossFit and doing other things, uh, making rude comments about coffee sizes and stuff. <laughs> but but for you, it seems like your rebirth was Hawaii. So 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 tell yeah, people absolutely tell people what that was like. Um, in in one of my books, Sing on Purpose, I say I say I found myself through barbells, donuts, and motorcycles. Um, how what was it like for you? You know, it was really difficult because I was still living um, based on other people's expectations of me and kind of like what the image should be for, mm -hmm. you know, Asian moms or, you know, Christian moms or whatever you want to want to call it. Um, I think that it was hard for me to actually accept the fact, right, that I'm not in control of this other person. Mm -hmm. um, and the marriage was, you know, and he is a, a great guy. We definitely co-parent pretty pretty well. And I think that, yeah, we definitely operate better as friends. But during that time period, I really had this expectation that like, he needs to be someone that he's not, you know, and so um, and then I had to decide, like, if I was going to be okay with that from now until right, the end of time or whatever, and, and I wasn't okay with it. But there was a promise I had made to Maddie that no matter what, if you hear me and your dad fighting, whatever, whatever, like, I promise you, we will always stay married. And that was my biggest mistake of my yeah. life. Oh my gosh. Um, and, and Maddie at the time, you know, Maddie is non-binary by the way, but um, at the time, uh, in my eyes, she was just a little girl, you know, like yeah. six years old, seven years old. And she would just cry and say like, you promised, you know, when we had to talk oh, with her man. that we're going to split up. Like you right. promised me this would never happen. And it was so, just but, I can't explain so the, the guilt you must have felt from that. Yes, the yeah. guilt and the pain I think was probably yeah probably the most painful thing I've, I've experienced. Oh, of course, yeah. I mean, you know, for you too, right? Like in terms of your divorce, it was just this catalyst for change and growth. Yeah, and you know um, what made yours harder and more complicated was um, your child. Yeah. And then on top of that, for you to make a promise to her to say that we will never divorce. Oh why would God. I say something like that? It's so ridiculous. Oh, well, I know why. It's because we're, my we're, we're young. Yeah. And, and also my parents were divorced and I was saying, oh, I'm never going to get a divorce. Right. Like at 23 years old, I'm saying that. Also, um, you guys were Hollywood, uh, not Hollywood. You guys were um, high school sweethearts, right? Yeah, we were. With, well, so kind of like. We were really good friends in high school, but we started dating in college. But yes, I mean, we grew up together. Yeah, so you were kind of like all you guys known. Yeah. Um, me now, after many relationships, I don't really believe in the one as far as you're supposed to be with one person for the rest of your life. Um, I know that goes against, you know, um, Christian uh, teachings and, and other kind of religious teachings. But the reason I say that is because most of my clients um, people who have uh, met in high school or college or really young, if they're still together, they're very unhappy and they're together for the wrong reasons, right? They're together for the children or because it says oh, so. Yeah. There's, there's truth to that. Yeah. And I'm not saying everyone, because I'm sure there are people that have been together for a long time and that have done a lot of work and they're very happy. But um, most people um, go through many expired relationships and they learn so much and they have these rebirths and then they bring more to the table in their next one, you know? Right, right. Absolutely. So you're in LA. Um, your marriage is uh, a little bit wobbly. You make this promise to your daughter. You're working in nonprofit. It seemed, it seemed like you actually really enjoyed the work there, though. I loved the work there. Yeah. I mean, I didn't. <laughs> yeah, I loved it. And um, I kind of could tell you didn't like it, John. Like, yeah. you'd always be kind of doing something else. 
You know what I mean? I was blogging. (laughs) (laughs) I was, uh, you guys were doing case notes and I was in the corner blogging. And you're such a thought leader because all this that we're doing now, right. And like all the things I'm trying to learn, like I'm, I'm literally a boomer, like all this, my husband, like luckily, right. My husband knows how to do all this kind of stuff, but I literally cannot even like, I don't know, create a zoom outlook like in my, like, I don't know. Anyway, but well, I, you have gifts in other places. I mean, right, you're, right. You're gifts have- are with the human exchange, you know? Yeah. So I just remember you, um, and now looking back, like what a thought leader, because you're doing this, what, 20 years ago. And now so graciously you're allowing me to be on your podcast, you know, and you've done all the legwork to kind of be where you're at. But I mean, you know, I, I just think for me, way, and, and, you know, that was, again, how old was I, like 22, 23, I wasn't licensed. I was more, that was my first social work type of job. And I really connected with the kids, um, Sam, my, oh my gosh, like I, you know, didn't have any boundaries. I was like fighting for him. Like, this is like my child, right? Like you go through all the counter transference and all that kind of stuff. And, um, I think as a licensed clinician, I would not be able to do any of that kind of stuff. Right. But at that time, you're just like this almost like mentor to them. And so that's, that's what I think I enjoyed about it. And I still like Sam got his MSW. He's like working on his LCSW. I still keep in contact with him. And it's just so nice to, look back at that time and know that, um, you know, that's kind of where I started really trusting that I could do something other than what was expected of me. Mm. Oh, interesting. Um, also, by the way, speaking of Sam, Sam, Sam was one of her clients, uh, one of my clients, Emily, I see her on Facebook and she has two kids. So cool. Her kids are older than my kids. It's so weird. (laughs) And these are teenagers that we, um, we helped back in the day. Um, yeah, I think you were such a catalyst, obviously, with uh, with not only Sam, but especially Sam, because you've you really have been like a mother to him, like a second mom, right? I feel that way. Yeah, you know? yeah, that's awesome that he is now um, doing what you're doing or getting the license mm-hmm. and, and going down that path. Wow. That's yeah, awesome. and he's getting sorry. I'm like he's getting paid well too. I'm like, damn, Sam, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, OA learned a lot. That was our sandbox. Um, uh, Haley loved it. She found her gift. I was in the corner blogging on Tumblr and, uh, and cursing my birth. So that was our experience. Um, you know, but the people that I worked with were all great, you know, uh, Patty on down. I, I really enjoyed that. Um, I learned a lot about, um, uh, this idea that we live in a fatherless nation. So, um, you know, working with all the kids, um, the boys either wanted to fight me or be me girls mm-hmm. standing too close running groups. And I was just like, wow, you know, the common thread, uh, with all these kids is there was no father, either dad was missing yeah. physically or emotionally. And so OA working in nonprofit there for about five years, that's where, uh, the fire in my belly, um, um I had the fire in my belly to just like create a dialogue about men, new definitions of man, you know, all of that stuff. So, um, that was really, it, it happened organically from there. So with you, uh, after OA, so now you're back in Hawaii. Uh, and now I don't know any of your story from here other than what's on paper. Uh, it seems like you've really um, gotten traction and you're thriving. Um, so so tell us the, the beginning of that chapter of your life and, and what happened since. Sure, yeah. When I came back to Hawaii, I was kicking and screaming and didn't want to be here. Mm-hmm. Um, 
because I have, I didn't do my own internal work, you know, of, you know, no matter where you go, like your trauma will follow you unless you actually sit down and look in the mirror and like be willing to do the work, you know? And so I started doing that work. I eventually, you know, um, really wanted to create a life for myself. I worked at, uh, the state judiciary where, you know, I, I did a lot of like CPS and mm-hmm. abuse and neg- neglect cases for children in Hawaii. And then I kind of went into suicide prevention mm-hmm. at the VA Pacific Islands healthcare system. And that's kind of where I started the healthcare journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and from there, you know, I, I struggled because one of my really good friends died by suicide. And I was like the suicide prevention, like, you know, coordinator. And that was so, I took it so hard to the point Wait, where what I friends that died by suicide when you were yeah. younger or, or then in Hawaii? Oh, then, then in Hawaii. Oh, yeah. Wow. And so, I mean, I literally had to leave the profession, you know, I'm not the profession, but that, and I had so much passion for that. And the work that I did, I, I loved, but I think I really felt like, you know, it was long hours. Like there was so many like OIG and joint commission and all these things. And I would, you know, have to cover Guam and Saipan. And it was like a very, difficult job and I think I kind of not blamed myself but you know my friend would text me like hey like let's go to lunch like this that and um I kind of was like oh I'm just you know running around I also have my private practice right I've always been like Asian just working 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 and I kind of felt like I didn't do enough to check in with him um Mm. anyway I'm gonna get emotional but he choreographed my whole like my my first wedding he choreographed the whole Beyonce dance and he was just like he was like amazing and so that was kind of the push for me to like say okay what is it that I really want right and what I want is to be present with my friends and family and Mm. also have a job that is fulfilling to me and so from there I really decided that I wanted to integrate like behavioral health and mental health into primary care because that's something that Hawaii does not do Mm. and also like a brand new concept and so I you know ended up with a physician organization who's been around for 30 years and just an amazing company but yeah over the past five years just really grew that program it started with me now we have like 30 staff and just like you know totally integrated with primary care physicians all over the island um, and then I saw my private practice. I opened MindWorks, which is specializing in postpartum depression for mothers. Obviously, like, you know, oh, I don't know if you know this, but I struggled with postpartum depression as well with uh, two of my kids, two out of the four. Mm, and I then, know. yeah, and then that kind of catapulted me um, into really, yeah, thinking about what I want to do in my mm-hmm. career. Um, and the reason that I opened Spill the Tea, which is actually Maddie's idea, oh, uh, nice. was, mm-hmm, is because Maddie, Maddie is privileged, right? And Maddie goes to a very expensive, like, private school here on the island. And even with all of that, um, there was a lot of, there was a lot of bullying. But, and I don't, it's their story to tell, so I don't want to, but from my perspective, it was hard to see as a mom your child just for like weeks on end crying in their room and you know as a mother I felt like I I needed to do something and I called the school and the dean and and like all the different kind of providers like what kind of LGBT resources 
can I provide for my child? And I'm a therapist and I actually have a network and I could not find anything. Mm. And, COVID, it was, and a lot of it was because of COVID. So a lot of like groups shut down, a lot of activities and support groups. Um, all therapists are full on the island, like literally. And so I just kind of jumped into action mode and said, like, we're opening up, you know, this cafe that you wanted to do after you become a doctor, Maddie, like we're, we're doing it. And so um, I'm just so happy that the community, my family, um, everyone kind of dropped everything to help us put this thing together. We had to gut renovate DIY. Like we were here till uh-huh. midnight on for months on end. And Wait, yeah, we just opened a few quick, weeks uh, let's, let's tell people what Spill the Tea is. Uh, Spill the Tea um, started with your daughter, some of her experiences in school, you realizing there's no space that's safe. There's no outlet for uh, teenagers or even younger. Is there it outlet? was... It was more for the LGBT issues oh, that, that they were facing, right? right? And the bullying that was happening, right? Like people were calling them derogatory names sure. and, you know, things yeah. that, things that like, you know, old, like old school, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah of course. Yeah. Of course. And so that was really. And culturally, hard. culturally uh, not probably not accepted by like old school, you know, Asian. Yeah. Yeah. So you guys create this thing um, yourself. It's a coffee shop. Uh, you literally built it yourself, right? Literally, <laughs> you know my dad did. Yeah. And you know what's so funny, John, is my dad is super like Trump supporting. Like I'm not supportive of LGBT. And he's like literally here every like seven days a week building this oh. thing. Well, then, so then this, must be, this must be a, a, um, a huge catalyst in his life as far as he's probably questioning a lot of things because he's here building it and, you know, I mean, his granddaughter and, and, you know. I would argue that he's very fixed in his mindset, but Mm -hmm. he will do things that we ask him to do, which is, and he'll, he'll complain the whole time doing it. Mm -hmm. Well, that's great. So he helped you build this thing. And then what, what uh, what services um, do, do you folks provide and what, what is it? Yeah, so it's just a safe space for teens. We're open every day after school, and then we're open on the weekends. Um, we provide group therapy. So we have a depression group, an LGBT group. We have like anxiety group, self-harm, um, eating disorders. We have music and art therapy as well. And so kind of, you know, an innovative idea to allow kids to come here and say, they don't want to come to therapy. They don't have to, but they can study here, right? We have like a study area and they can, we have Wi-Fi. There's also like a gaming area where there's like PS5 and, you know, just to like really be able to connect with others. Mm-hmm. Um, whenever a teen feels lonely or like they don't fit in that they can walk into this place and, and feel a sense of belonging. Mm. And so that's what I really wanted to create. And I think it's really cool because the kids serve boba and coffee and tea and, and snacks and they just really hang out you know so sometimes i'm like hey you guys we need to go to group yeah you know the other thing is um because i'm thinking about my daughter i'm still only two but if she was uh yeah. maddie's age it must be really rewarding to build something with your daughter so rewarding mm-hmm. and yeah and i think you know and it's it's my child i should say kid because because they are non-binary and mm-hmm. we're still very much active in this journey um, Maddie always, even as a five-year-old, would ask to wear boys' underwear, you know, and, and uh, you know. But I really like in my infancy of, I guess, just the programming that was programmed into sure. me. Sure. 
I really dressed Maddie super girly and like. Yeah, I remember because she was so adorable. Uh, little Ugg boots and, you know, shiny things. Always. Yeah, bows in the hair and all that. Yeah. And I struggle with that now looking back at it. Mm -hmm. And I feel so guilty. Um, but Maddie, you know, identifies again, it's it's their story to tell, but we're yeah, we're we're definitely in transition. Um, Maddie does not want to be identified like as a girl at all. Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, there there might be a transition in the future, which I'm still going through the emotions of that, and also at the same time understanding that I only want Maddie to be a hundred percent themselves. And I'm so honored, like to be a part of her, their journey and understanding that these lives are born through me and mm -hmm. not through me and they're not my child is, is really hard, but I, I think it really resonates with me. It's such a huge part of my transformation um, because, you know, I think for the most part, probably every parent feels that way. Like your hopes and dreams and your vision of what your child is going to be, um, should not like I should not get any of my self-esteem from that right like if my kid goes to this school or that college or whatever I mean really if Maddie wants to be whatever it is like yeah. the first time I allowed Maddie to cut their hair was I think seventh grade and I I cried because I'd never seen Maddie so happy oh was there also a sadness in you because of your, um, you know, the poster of who you want Maddie to be is now torn or it's different? It doesn't fit with your projection? I think at that moment, I had already done some of that work. And so my tears were more guilt ridden and mm -hmm. like, there's my child. Like my mm -hmm. child is there and I've been like hiding them for so long. And yeah. so I think that was so powerful for me. Like. The moment I had Maddie, like a mother was born and I felt like I had this transformation, but the moment Maddie, I allowed Maddie to cut their hair and be who they were, I also saw a genuine human in there and I need to allow them to become whoever it is that they want to be. And I will always be here to support that. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's been a little difficult, John. Yeah, and but Halen, what an important conversation, um, a very topical one, especially today. Uh, I'm older than you. I'm like in between you and your mom. So my generation, uh, it's there's a lot of residue. It, it's it's hard for me to even, you know, with the language being careful with them and 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 it's hard for me too. And, and even just to wrap my um, brain around it, um, and then the tug from the old. So my wiring, my programming, and then you know, of course, the other part of me that is new and curious and open and non-judgmental. So there is inner conflict, you know. And so it's not just us. I think it's the world. Um, but at the same time, it's a really exciting time because I think it's the first time that all of this is being shaken up and people are questioning. And at the end of the day, you're right. Uh, it's about Maddie just being happy. Like yeah. that's all that matters. Everything else Absolutely. is secondary. Yeah. And um, I, I would have, you know, before I was a parent, I don't think I would have understood that. I would only just agree with you. Um, but as uh, as I think about Logan and, you know, um, wh who she decides to be as she gets older, yeah, I mean, all I care would be, uh, all I would care about is, is if she was happy. And then also I, I could empathize with you and like the guilt or you, 
you know, dressing her in, in cute clothes or, or, you know, later on, but then, but you were also so young too, you know? And so, um, it's that, it's that whole thing we say about our parents, they did the best they could with what they had, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but what amazing things you're doing now, um, Thank you. because of those things, right? Because like, it's almost like taking, taking the pain and then um, using it as a superpower, right? Um, allowing right. yourself to heal and then, and then, um, you know, taking whatever, whether, whether it's guilt or whatever it is, taking those feelings and then um, healing and then um, pushing them through you and making a, a greater dent in the world because of that. Right. And then having this obligation, right. To as, as humanity, humanity evolves, that there's a component of ad advocacy, right. And not just an obligation, but I feel, um, a, a true purpose and calling because so many kids are suffering right mm -hmm. now. And so because negativity is so loud, right. I think it's important that we are loud about the positive things that are happening and that, you know, we can, again, like destigmatize mental health, right. Or mm -hmm. also like really be, um, open to changing the narrative that we've all been programmed for so long and, and to be able to, right. Not like you want to prioritize the relationship with your child, not right. Like I want to be close to my child. And what does that entail? Like a lot of people sacrifice that relationship with their child, um, because the child is not doing what the parent wants them to do, um, mm -hmm. as an adult, right. Or they're not on the path that they want their child to be. And what does that, what does that leave us with? It leaves space between you and your child, right. And your child won't come to you to talk to you about the problems they're facing, right. They're just, and so if you really want an authentic relationship with your child, I believe, I believe that it's only through your own inner work and your own inner transformation that you can actually achieve that. Um, well, well, you said something really important. Um, I, and I agree with you. I agree with you hundred percent. And the reason why our parents are dried cement, our reason why our parents are, are, are who they are, uh, like yeah. example, you're saying that your dad, uh, you know, even though he technically helped you guys build this, yeah, he's not happy about he it. He hasn't yeah. really changed, right? Whatever. Um, you have to go on an inner journey, and an inner journey these days are more accessible. Um, you know, self help books and podcasts, and you know, what the dialogue we're creating today. Yeah. Our parents didn't have that. Um, right. Our parents, it was about what are we, what food are we going to put on the table? It's about survival. Uh, you know, my dad grew up, um, you know, uh, plates thrown at his head and he would, you know, get hit for stealing rice. He, he made his own shoes like that kind of. So coming from poverty, like, like self-help and therapy, that's like a luxury. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like Maslow's, yeah. right? Yeah. It's just if you're only worried about your basic needs, what... Um, Right on the Maslow's hierarchy, right. it's yes. yeah, you're not even going past the the, the no, yeah, exactly. right. And so, we we understand, right, that we're evolving. And I don't mean to be insulting, but I'm just like, we are more evolved than what they were, and what their parents were, and what their parents were. So. Well, I think we're the generation, uh, maybe more your generation than mine, um, that is finally going to change things. That is really, uh, and then of course. Uh, Maddie's generation. Of, you know, oh, Maddie's generation. John, I am not even. I am not even worried about them. I'm like, listen, yeah. you guys are good. Gen Z, I'm telling you. Yeah, Gen Z. They're gonna change the world a hundred percent. Gen Z, oh. they're like aliens. They I don't are. Even, yeah. That, I don't even know. I'm like uh, Maddie, and you know, probably because of the internet, really. Like, yeah, yeah. No, well, it's just because everything that's happening in life that is like hockey stick scaling. 
uh, you know, I grew up with pagers and shit. So like, uh, yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the jelly bean pager. Okay. One four three, like eight <laughs> all that stuff. And then you turn. Are you are you saying when you turn it up? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Okay. Oh yeah. my gosh. Like, yeah. Okay. Anyway, I won't go into all the stuff we used to say. It's inappropriate. Uh, I was just real quick. I was just at the gym and the coach was playing '90s hip hip hop. You know, like nice. old Jay Z and stuff. And I was like. Um, wow, this is amazing. Can I have this playlist? And I said, by the way, how old were you in the 90s? And he was like, uh, I was born in 93. And I was like, <laughs> oh my God. I was like, and he's he's not like that young, right? He's coaching. I and I was like, I, I graduated high school in 91. I was like, dude, these songs I was putting into a six disc CD changer. I know. You know? And, and, and we <laughs> were, if you had a, if you had the six like CD changer, you were flossing, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did. I did. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, you well, you're doing amazing work. And so let me ask you this now. I just want to kind of pivot. Uh, so you have all these things, um, you know, you're on the board of things, you have this nonprofit. Hey, and by the way, why did you decide to make it a nonprofit and not for profit? Like, uh, what was the the did you yeah. just feel like you could do more with the nonprofit? The reason that I wanted it to be a nonprofit was because we wanted to service kids. Um, regardless of their insurance or their ability to pay. Right. And so the only way we're able to do that is to go through a nonprofit sector, right? Because we want to offer these services for free, essentially. I mean, we can't, we're not at a place right now that we can do that for everyone, but that is the vision. Right. Ultimately. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So during the pandemic, I created um, this thing called the lab and it's just live Zoom groups um, Very cool. uh, for adults, uh, you know, relationships or whatever, all this astrology readings, all sorts of stuff. And um, I'm also uh, right behind you. I'm turning it into a nonprofit now to oh, cool. okay. let it John grow. Yeah, yeah. It's kind of the adult version of um, this uh, spill the tea. Yeah, exactly. Mine, mine's mine's going to be called spill the coffee. <laughs> Uh, grande, not not a, not a, not at all. It's it's yeah. a grande coffee. You deserve a grande coffee. Whoever yeah, that is. Yeah. But you can't, John. That's like really funny. I guess you you don't think that was funny that you said that. I didn't know I said that, but you know, I, I got to be honest. Um, I like that you said that to me because it reminds me of who I used to be. And um, one of my things is I am inappropriate, and I. I, I would guess um, that was a little toxic masculinity, a little ego. Um, I was probably flirting with you and like, you know, like when you're a kid, if you like someone, you hit them. I think <laughs> I was uh, trying to um, say something or cause, get a reaction from you. You know, I was in the beginning of my evolution. Um, I was still a worm. I was still just, you know, and I think I was like 35 or 36 and okay. you were in your twenties. And mm -hmm. so I think I was, I think I was just bullying you. Speaking of bullies, I was a bully. But it was, it was fun. Like, I think you were joking when you would bully all of us at OA. Yeah, it was, it was, it was fun. I felt like it was high school and, and maybe yeah. I would, um, we all I, I, I felt like the kid that got held back. <laughs> no, we all, we all made so many mistakes. I don't know if you remember this, but I crashed the van. Yes, I do yeah. remember that. But we all right. made mistakes, yeah. Um, I crashed the van too. Oh no, I, I oh, you crashed, did? No, no, I you crashed, crashed the van too. You crashed the van. I crashed uh, Patty's car or oh. I hit Patty's car. Yeah. And yeah, stuff like that. But, um, lots of good times and, and some yeah. drama mixed in with some drama. Oh yeah. Yeah. So much drama. And yeah. I think, but it was all fun. It was all fun. Yeah. And you know, the biggest takeaway from that was whole, uh, the whole TC, you know, um, yes. 
the idea that a safe space and I, I now teach on this, but uh, uh, I call it a container, but the idea that uh, if you create a safe space that growth can be organic and that um, the power of like what you're doing at Spill the Tea, right? Creating the safe space and then making it about the community, um, not enabling them. And then oh, I just, you're creating your own little OA. That's what you have. Oh my God, I never thought of it like that. It just hit me. But I mean, not, not like not like they have to make their bed anything because they don't live there. I don't know. They don't live here or anything like that. Oh, it's, it's your maybe, OA, Helen. Maybe it could grow into that, like inpatient. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. But I just feel like as, I, as I'm looking at you, I'm like, oh, she's also creating a space and it's after school. Uh, and it's for a certain demographic, this community um, and, and, and welcome, you know, welcoming anyone. Uh, and it's a safe space. So whether they're playing games or doing homework, or whatever, and I was like, oh, that actually is kind of what TC's like. Kind of, yeah. Our subconscious working through us. Right. Okay, I want to pivot. Um, how do you do all this? Uh, plus, you have a private practice and you're doing all this stuff. Um, and then be a mom to four. Yeah. And your wife. Yes, I am. How do you how do you juggle how do you <laughs> juggle all of it? How do you how do you do do everything? I have a lot of help, a lot, a lot of help. And is it family help or is it hired help? What kind of help are you talking about? Both. It's both. I mm -hmm. think, you know, women just have this invisible workload. And really, I, I want to bring attention to it because, right, even if it's in your head and it's mental, it's still very energy draining. And you're, yeah. you're like thinking of like the kids' appointments and all their extracurriculars and their homework, right? And um just everything in between like the drop-offs and the pickups and the play dates and um you know and then you're supposed to do it all like looking cute right it, it's just so impossible and not, and not complaining right and then if you're like a working mom then you're shamed if you're a stay-at-home mom you're shamed and I just like it's so frustrating and I think I'm really finally growing into my own skin to say hey this is not okay and this is like, you can have it all, but you can't do it all. Mm. Right. So for women, like if you want to work, then you should work. Right. And if you want to stay home, then you should stay home, but either way you will need help. Right. And so I've always had a nanny. Um, you know, I have a personal assistant, Kiki, and, um, you know, my husband is amazing. And, mm. you know, my parents help out a lot. Like my parents, uh, my mom takes two of my boys every Friday to Saturday and I remember at the parent teacher conference, you know, there was a comment made by this white lady. I don't need, I don't need to say it was a white lady, but I just had to put that in there. And the white lady said, you know, I'm really concerned about Mace because, you know, he's going to different households. And um, he said that he sleeps at his, his grandparents. And, and I just looked at her and I said, this is not, this is not a concern. This is like, our culture, <laughs> you know, and I was like, and a lot of people in Hawaii have multi-generational households. We don't live in the same house, but we are very close. And so, right, to be able to respect um, the diverse type of families that are in Hawaii or across the nation and not make like assumptions like, oh, that must be an adjustment disorder or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. um, so anyway, and I, I forgot what I was saying, but basically I have a lot of help and mm -hmm. I have to pay for a lot of help. And I think that investment allows me to have the energy that I need to sure. show up as present as possible to my clients and parents and, and everything else. 
What do you do for yeah. self-care? Anyone listening to this who um, can relate to what you're saying and, uh, you know, they are building an empire and also trying to be a parent and, you know, all, all this stuff. What do you do for self-care or, or is that something that's difficult for you? It's something that's extremely difficult for me. And so I'm just trying to be extremely. I Starbucks. I know you do a lot of Starbucks. Starbucks. I do Starbucks. John, I do Starbucks like seven days a week. So <laughs> yeah, I know. I remember. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so um, I hired a business coach, the best decision of my life. Mm. And my business coach um, is working with me on the self care part. But that is something that I need to commit to and not over schedule. And so um, you'll be proud of me. I, I did starting last week, right? Every Friday, half day where I can go hiking or nice. something. Like that. I so love that. Just yes. that energy. And, and I think I haven't worked out in like two or three years. So I'm very um, excited. I'm worried about the follow through, but I'm going to have my business coach keep me accountable. I love it. Fuck it, Friday. So it's a half day. Yeah. yeah. Half day plus movement. Yes, I love it. Well, Halen, um, I'm really proud of you. And I, I didn't know that you were what you were up to. Um, I didn't know that you've built such amazing things. So I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit in awe. And it's like, uh, amazing to see to know have known you um, in your 20s, then and you were you were already doing great work at OA, but but uh, you know, going through the the divorce. I mean, that's what we have in common. Both uh, going yeah. through the divorce, yeah. rebirth, and it's really interesting how the universe um, put you back in your hometown, where most people, um, you know, would 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 promise we'd never go back, exactly. and then creating something beautiful there, a prism, and helping other people. It's such a powerful story. Thanks so much, John. And I know this is your podcast, but I'm really dying to hear about your baby. Because when I saw that on Instagram, I literally got a little emotional. I was so happy for you. And like, I just knew that you were going to be the best dad. And when I saw that, I was just like, I really could see your evolution. And as you right, like, as you're going to tell me, like, I'm sure it's just nothing but joy. Um, well, I wouldn't say that. But uh I do feel like I pulled in Indiana Jones, like I pulled the hat out before the the door uh, closed. Okay. Because if I waited another year, I don't think I would have been a father. I I, I didn't. I feel like I'm, I'm. I feel like I'm too old, you know. And so, um, we had a miscarriage, and then uh, the second time uh, we had Logan. So um, I'm gonna be the like the the 67 year old dude that picks her from school, and and her friends are like, "Is your grandpa's here?" And you guys are also going to be like best friends and you know what I mean? The, yeah, yeah, I, um, I was meant bad. to have, I was meant to have a girl and, uh, yeah. and, um, uh, she, she is one of the only things, um, besides this, I still ride motorcycles, uh, that makes me present, you know, I'm in my yeah. head constantly. Um, and so yeah. when I'm with her, uh oh my gosh it's so much joy you're you're right but the first year the uh it, the joy is only coming in now at age two yeah. uh the yeah. first year it was uh 10 times harder than i thought um she was just you know putty she would just poop eat sleep yeah. um and then like for me i didn't have a lot of um connection uh, and then now I'm starting to build that. And so she, you know, ABC's personality, I'm trying to teach her Korean. Uh, oh my gosh, you are. That's amazing. Yeah, she is so, so cute. I'm like, I can't get over it. She's so cute. And, and yeah, that first year is like, 
you're a zombie and also yeah. like it's shocking the yeah. first was shocking yeah my yeah. poor husband we also so when i got remarried we also um had one baby and three years old did he, did he also have a child no he didn't have any kids oh so but he was totally like just instant dad right like i think yeah. his parents like yeah. instant dad just add water get three kids already like changing diapers whatever and then yeah we decided to have um maya and he like okay so but i, I was gonna say like the conversation was like a whole year of therapy like i'm like i'm not i'm done not having any more kids mm -hmm. and you know he was like if you know we do this like i will not that i i obviously knew i was gonna love this infant with everything but i just was tapped out right because Wait, I was were you, were you done with maddie or, or how many did you have where you're like i'm done three oh yeah. and then you mm -hmm. and then one more. i had three and then i was done and then we got remarried but you know essentially we laid out all the expectations and, and alex said that he would do all of the you know getting up at night and yeah. right yeah. like bottle feeding and, and doing the things because i could not right and and he really held up his end of the bargain and he's an amazing dad um you know maya just you know it's daddy 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 everything so oh. it's really nice but i think it's so cool that you and i have how old is mine she's three. Oh, okay a little bit old yeah she's yeah. so what um what are the names maddie maya so maddie maya mason and morgan oh yeah. that's awesome wow yeah you 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 uh you're like the um asian brady bunch you too i am we are four kids now yeah. is is like you know our our parents having seven eight kids no one has four kids. Yeah. Yeah. Or Maybe. Filipinos. My husband's Filipino, but oh. Filipinos have a lot of kids. Yeah, just yeah, FYI. Yeah. Well, um, if I'm ever in Hawaii, how do you say Hawaii? Because I know we all, all people yeah. from California are just like Hawaii. Yeah, it's like Hawaii. But yeah, yeah you guys ever come down, we're gonna have to do a play date. Mm -hmm. And I can't, you know, wait to meet her. And then also your um, beautiful wife. She's yeah. amazing and smart. And I'm just like, wow. We're not married yet, but we're thinking about marriage. Uh, oh, so, I'm sorry, but yeah, yeah. It's okay. No, I mean, we, 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 uh, we, uh, no, we, I, I, I'm open to it. So uh, we're now talking about marriage and, um, it's the first time I've said it publicly. So it's here, but, uh, that's the other thing you and I will have in common is, um, divorced and remarried and, you know, all of that bad at math. Hey, <laughs> um, anything you want to say to, because it seems like what you're really passionate about is, um, adolescents, teens, bullying, um, people who feel different that shouldn't. Um, what do you want to say, if anything, to, uh, yeah, like Maddie, you know, that that whole uh, Z, uh, the Gen, Gen Z, no, not Generation Z. Yeah, yeah Gen Z, yeah, Gen, Gen Z, they're amazing. I think what I'm learning, and it's a lifelong journey as a mother, right, is, that we need to see people for their humanity first mm. um, and really be able to value people for their for their diversity and um, also to be able to find your voice because it's not okay to just sit on the sidelines and and you know take this um, programming that we have to just you know keep your head down and you know like even the model minority like I have a problem with that and that's supposed to be a compliment like it's, I, I just want people to live their own truth, but in order to do that, you have to undo a lot of learning, right? And so for people to really access like self-learning or podcasts, I mean, even like this is so helpful. Um, but if you have the desire to grow and to evolve, 
anybody can do it. And I, I promise, I just think it's the best gift you can give yourself. So thank you so much. Uh, yes, uh, you've really inspired me just through this conversation. Oh my gosh, you inspired me. You're like goals, the, the, the following you have and everything. I, I swear you really inspire me and I hope to get there one day. Where can we find you, Halen? Yeah, you can find me um, at halendennison.com um, or halendennisonlcsw on Instagram. Yeah, follow her and her story um, and all the work that she's doing. And if you're in Hawaii, check out Spill the, Spill tea. the tea Cafe. Yeah, cafe. Yes. All right, Helene, thank you so much for being on my podcast. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, John. Be well. Bye. Hey, if you have a passion for helping others and you want to create a more meaningful career or add to your current skill set, it's time to become a life coach with Lumia. When I became a life coach many years ago, there wasn't anything like this. So I developed this program alongside with Noel Cordeaux, Lumia Coach Training. And it's amazing. It's 100% live and online, meaningful, evidence-based education, real people, real community, ICF accredited to with 20 diverse instructors in a thriving alumni community. Go to theangrytherapist.com and click on Become a Coach and explore Lumia Coach Training. I'll see you in class.